Well, we're in week three of our series of Sound Mind, dealing with mental and emotional well-being. And we started with this illustration here. Uh, life is a lot like Jenga, but not the nice and neat undisturbed version. Uh, to say it's well for my soul here is no big deal. It should be. Everything's as planned. But life falls apart. Life doesn't stay the same. It kind of gets messy. And it is possible to say it's well for my soul, even in the midst of this. And so that's really where we're heading each week. Last weekend, we talked about anxiety. This week, we'll talk about depression. Uh, it's common to all of us in one way or another. We've got a couple of theme verses that the series is built upon. Uh, one of them is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And the Apostle Paul uh, writes to his young protege, and he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And another verse that goes with that is 3 John, verse 2. The apostle writes these words. He says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects, say all respects, you may flourish and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And uh, we drew on the whiteboard, the marker pad, that uh, we're three-part persons. God made us our body, our soul, and our spirit. When we accept Christ, our spirit is reborn, uh, born again, and uh, we're heading to heaven. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and that is a restoration process. David says he restores my soul, my good shepherd. That's the restoration process that takes the rest of our lives. And then our bodies play in there as well. We're, we're, we're created, uh, intermingled, if you will. And so what affects us physiologically can affect us emotionally or mentally, spiritually, and whatnot. And so when it comes to anxiety and depression, not to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but there there are some aspects of that we'll see may not change. They may be a, an ongoing battle for life. There are other aspects, though. I, I don't want us to feel like a helpless victim to that. While you may not be able to totally avoid or defeat it, uh, as Christians, we can manage it. We can often reduce it. Uh, we're not powerless. We can overcome it in many ways. And so let's walk through that. And uh, a definition of depression that's a good working definition uh, is that depression is an emotional condition characterized by feelings of hopelessness, inadequacy, gloominess, dejection, uh, sadness, difficulty in thinking and concentration and inactivity. And you might say, well, I've got other things that fall in there as well. And you can certainly add that to a personalized dimension. Let me ask you the question. I'll ask you to kind of mentally think an answer, a response to that. How do you experience depression? A handful might say, well, I never get depressed, and that's great. Uh, I know for myself, Joyce and I were talking about this, it's, it's kind of a subtle sadness, and I kind of get quiet and kind of work through it or try to over a period of time. And it's important to at least be in touch with your inner person and how you experience things. Last week, anxiety. This week, depression. I'll kind of bounce back and forth a little bit. And if you have the CLC app, you can follow along that there are many causes. I put causes in quotes because it may or may not be a totally clear connection and cause and effect. But there are many causes for depression, both physical, emotional, behavioral, and situational. And I think it's helpful to, to think about those some. Uh, some of the physiological things that bring on depression, just fatigue. If you're a burn the candle at both ends kind of person, 24-7, just go, 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 without any rhythm, without any rest, it can often lead to depression. Uh, there can be chemical and hormonal reasons for that. That's why if you have depression or anxiety that won't go away, that you can't manage, it may be helpful to go see the doctor. Is there something physiological going on with me? Uh, illnesses 
Chronic illness, overwhelming, uh, when they come, when they hit hard, when there's lots of implications to them, that can bring on a sense of depression. Uh, as well as something as seemingly simple as nutrition and, uh, and uh, dehydration. And so it's important to look at, okay, how am I doing physically when I'm in this state of feeling of depression? And are there physical links to that? Because I'm created, body, soul, and spirit, uh, pretty inseparable. There are situational reasons for depression. You might have gone through a horrendous loss, loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, of a job or a career. Uh, your academic passions were gone or, or taken. Maybe uh, financial loss, whatever those things might be. You might be going through a crisis or a tragedy. And again, that can bring on a state of depression. It may be something related to your family of origin or even hered in hereditary ways, but it often seems like we learn some of our, our mental and emotional makeup uh, and how to manage that from how we grew up. Maybe it was very difficult, and so you, you kind of deal with that. You almost feel like you've inherited some of it. There are emotional and behavioral and spiritual links or causes uh, when it comes to depression. Addictions. And as I say that word addiction, many of your heart just started to beat because you know you're one of those. And maybe you've kept yours secret, maybe not. But to battle addiction and to feel overwhelmed by it or defeated by it, and then the secret keeping energy that goes into all that, it can definitely lead to depression. Uh, social media. Studies abound that the more you use this, the more you're prone to depression. We'll talk about that later. Uh, unresolved issues, whether it's unforgiveness or anger or resentment or guilt, whether real or imagined, all those unresolved things inside of us as we carry those, it can, it can just become an emotional weight to us that depresses us and, and drags us down. And then there are just some uncertain, unknown aspects. You may never be able to figure it all out and don't get depressed about that uh, because some of it just is. And so regardless now, what do I do with it? How do I, how do I journey with it and through this? And so be aware of the symptoms of depression and I'll toss a few of them out there that are results of studies and interviews, but you obviously can add some of your own. There are physical symptoms of depression and research has documented that there are many ways depression can affect physical health and vice versa. It's kind of like a chicken or the egg, which goes with which. So things that accompany depression include weight gain or weight loss or changes in appetite or eating disorders, uh, chronic pain. Uh, a lot of chronic diseases can exacerbate depression or vice versa. Inflammation. It's unclear if inflammation causes depression or depression causes inflammation, but it accompanies that route. Sexual health problems. Trouble sleeping, uh, insomnia, uh, anxiety, exhaustion, and then gastrointestinal problems, and the list goes on and on, that we see that our physical health and our emotional health, you know, they're linked together. And they can be seen as indicators, as, as sort of engine lights uh, to pay attention. And uh, when it comes to uh, emotional characteristics of depression, this is from the medical news today, but feeling sad or empty, there's nothing rocket science there, feeling hopeless or helpless, a feeling of worthlessness or excessive guilt, no interest or pleasure in activities. It can be anger and irritability. You can feel tired or have a lack of energy. Uh, there can be insomnia or lack of sleep, difficulty concentrating, remembering or making decisions, trouble switching off your brain or thoughts of self-harm. All those kinds of things are part of the, the heavy emotional and relational and just physical burden that we carry when we deal with depression. So uh, let's uh, look at the thought 
Godly people don't get depressed. Parentheses say what? It's funny. I said that and I watched a bunch of you that weren't looking at the screen. You were looking down. You looked up and you looked at the screen to say, did he say that? And you didn't see it in the parentheses. Say what? I had someone suggest that to me recently and my response was exactly that. Just say what? After a quick, you know, run through of uh, biblical perspective and godly people to see, is that true? And I believe it's not true. Uh, let's talk about Moses. And when you talk about Moses, realize the compliment that was paid to him in Scripture where Jesus in the New Testament telling, talked to his disciples. He said, learn from me. Okay, taking notes. Learn from Jesus. What do we learn? I'm gentle and humble in heart. Humility is hugely significant in God's economy and what God wants for us. And what does it say in the Old Testament? What does God require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So a sense of humility is, is huge. And the Bible said of Moses that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. If the Bible says you're the most humble man on the face of the earth, you're, you're humble. Not in an insecure, unworthy kind of way, just very in touch with who he was. And Moses was a hero. Uh, Moses, uh, read the story, the people of Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for four centuries. And God chose Moses, handpicked him. I want you to now fulfill my providence and lead the people of Israel, over a million people, out of slavery to the land I promised them centuries before. And so from the moment God met Moses and, and introduced himself to Moses, it's a miraculous event, the burning bush. And then Moses goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, tells him, let my people go. Ten miraculous plagues are unleashed to get him to loosen his grip. And then they go through the wilderness and, and it's miracle after miracle after miracle that God does through Moses. And Moses reached a breaking point. And those of us that live with a, a lot of demands on us in life and a lot of pressure on life and a lot of get, keep going on life and pushing on life uh, have to be mindful of that because you can have those moments of a breaking point like Moses did. And he just crashed. And let me read that for you in Numbers chapter 11, verse 14. Moses is, is overwhelmed with where the people are and how obstinate they are and they're complaining. And he says, I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. God, I can't take anymore. I have broken. Just take my life. Boom. That's pretty depressed. Man of God. And then we can look at Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God. And my, if I listed top 10 things I feel like God's ever done in and through me, I've done for God, all right, they don't come close to, to 10 on, on Elijah's list of top 10, much less compete with number one. I mean, phenomenally used of God. And so on one occasion, we read in the, the book of Kings that there's this standoff. First of all, God used Elijah's prayers. No wonder James refers and says that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Elijah had a nature just like ours. He prayed and God did great things. Elijah prayed and prayed a drought into existence. God told him to. And then years later, he, he prays and the drought ceases. 
But before he, now, I can't even pray for nice weather when there's a picnic coming, okay? And he prays the drought into existence and out of existence. But before the prayer out of the, to stop the drought, there's this spiritual showdown. And the people of Israel are, are rampantly going towards worshiping a God called Baal. And there is a, a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It is a winner take all. We're going to set the rules of the contest. And then whoever wins, the nation will worship that God. And so the, here's, the, here's the test. Whoever can call fire down from heaven. Yeah, that's the God we'll worship. Pretty impressive standard. And so read the story. There's Elijah versus 400 prophets of Baal. And the 400 prophets of Baal have all day long and they are praying and crying out, doing all their paganistic ritual worship uh, practices and they cannot call fire down from heaven. Comes Elijah's turn. You know the story. Elijah uh, says, well, before I pray, go ahead and douse my sacrifice with water just to kind of up the ante a little bit. So they pour a bunch of water over it, falls down in a little moat around the, the, the altar. And then he prays, boom, fire down from heaven. Is that like not commonplace for anybody else in here besides me? <laughs> never. I've never done something like that. So whatever connection I've got with God and his work with me, it is nowhere near Elijah. Then this fight breaks out and Elijah literally kills all 400 prophets of Baal. I mean, this is better than anything Marvel Studios could come up with. Then he goes and he prays, prays seven times. And finally, there's a cloud coming, let's go. And the drought is ended after three and a half years of drought runs down the mountain, he and his assistant, and they outrun King Ahab in his chariot. And, and wouldn't you, I mean, I'm, man, if that was me, I'd be, uh-huh, yeah, all right? So look, I'd get my phone out. Let me show you in case you missed it, what it looked like when the fire came down, all right? And look at, let me, look at me, this is me fighting. I'd have selfies, all those dead prophets. This is me and the dead guys, right? <laughs> Wouldn't put it on social media because it's bad for your health, no, so. You would too, you'd be like, yeah! He's obviously exhausted. Obviously a lot of anxiety and adrenaline poured into that. And all it took, say all it took. All it took was Jezebel to send him a note. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to have you killed and executed by tomorrow this time. 24 hours. You got 24 hours to live and you're dead. That's all it took. He should have said, yeah, Jezebel, rip it up. Well, we'll see about that. But instead, look at what Elijah, look at his response. This godly man, chosen by God, used by God, supernatural things. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life for I am not better than my forefathers. I want out of here. Suicidal. This great, heroic, successful man of God wants to die. That's pretty depressed. And it was just, whereas Moses reached a breaking point, Elijah, it was just the right, perfect timing can throw you into a spiral. And then Jonah is another obvious example. And I think about Jonah, I feel a little bad for Jonah because when I say Jonah, you're all getting self-right. Yeah, he's the guy who wouldn't do what God wanted him to do. As though you always do what God wants you to do. 
So let's all humble ourselves down a little bit and realize we have a whole lot more in common with like Jonah than we probably do Elijah or Moses. Because most of us know what's in this book and we tell ourselves why we don't have to do all of it. And so when God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, I want you to preach my word because I want to transform that city, what does he do? He hightails it out of there, gets on a boat, going the opposite direction, a storm blows up, and, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. This must be judgment from a God. And Jonah says, it's my God, throw me overboard, you'll probably be fine. Sure enough, they threw him overboard, the storm stops. You know the story, a giant fish comes, swallows him up. He spends three days in the belly of this fish, and then the fish spits him out on land. And then he walks for three days to Nineveh, preaches, and exactly what he thought was going to happen, the whole city repents. Now I'm saying the 120,000 people repent. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to blog this. <laughs> Tweet it for sure. But what is, how does Jonah respond? <laughs> After it's all done, therefore now, O oh Lord, Please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And a few verses later, as the sun beat down on Jonah's head, he became faint and he begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Begging God, just kill me. That's depressed. Jesus felt the kind of feelings we do. Hebrews tells us that we don't have a high priest. The high priest is kind of the spiritual representative of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses, kind of living in a bubble. Jesus was tempted and suffered as we do. Jesus was tempted with painful emotions, suffered with painful emotions and internal state, but was without sin. So depression itself is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. It's what we do with it that makes it redemptive or not. And in Matthew 26, after the Last Supper, before his crucifixion, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, his disciples. And he said to his disciples, sit down here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul, talk about being transparent with your feelings. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I am so depressed, guys. I'm overwhelmed. Remain here with me and keep watch with me. So Jesus, more situational than long term, still understands what those dark times of the soul feel like. You have a Savior who, who knows what that's like cares about you. And so with that thought, I want to talk about emotional well-being in you, and then I want to talk about emotional well-being in us. When it comes to emotional well-being in you, there are things that you can do to wrestle with it, to manage it, to often overcome it, or at the very least deal with it. So would you just say, I'm not totally helpless Even though at times you may feel that, you may think that, you may tell yourself that, you may throw your hands up in resignation, ugh, but you're not. And we started this series with Psalm 139, verse 23, talking about anxiety. And David prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It is helpful to pray about your internal well-being or lack of it. It is helpful for you, for you to ask God about that, and we'll see later. There are times David didn't even know wh why he was feeling what he was feeling, but he brought that to God. Your faith and your Christianity can help you cope with depression. It may not totally do away with it, but it can help you deal with it and be victorious in the midst of it. It takes time, often. So if it's just situational, often the situation passes and you do the right self-soothing, self-care things and, and the depression that came with it will pass with it. But it may be that you need to check in with a counselor. I've found that helpful many times throughout the years. You may, do, as I said, go see a doctor because maybe there's something physiological also that's making this even more complicated and I can't think my way out of a physical symptom. And, you know, when you have the, the biological things, the reactive situational things, the psychological things, uh, let's talk about things that we can do. First of all, when it comes to depression, can you identify the cause? Why are you depressed? Well, I'm just so, I'm so overwhelmed. Why? Well, you know, I've, well, I've just got all these bills are piling up and I don't know what to do about them. And, you know, da, 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 and, and so you, it's this, uh, this phenomenon called approach avoidance that the more you need to do it, then the more you find yourself not doing it. And so you get stuck in this place. Oh, I should, but I don't want to. I should, but I don't want to. You know, it's like, uh, I remember when I was in college, I lived in a dorm and you saw the, the anxiety, approach avoidance anxiety hit one of the most inappropriate times was finals week. Because the time that everybody should be doing nothing but studying and cramming for tests, all of a sudden huge water fights break out in the dorm. We do all kind of craziness at one o'clock in the morning when you should be studying you know, because the, the anxiety is approaching and yet you want to avoid it, all right? And so you might have something that's making you very anxious and that anxiety is turning into depression and you should do something about it and you, you know you, but instead of that, you just kind of, you're stuck. You're kind of immobilized. Well, maybe it's as simple as, okay, well, if the problem is your bills, then what can you do to either pay those bills or have you contacted your creditors and worked out a payment plan? There, there are often simple things you can do about what's causing you to be anxious and depressed and it'll help you greatly just feel like I'm dealing with it rather than being stuck and immobilized. Uh, maybe it's a, a situation of loss or a circumstance of grief and whatnot and you, you need to find somebody that you can unload that with and just talk to and they, they can't necessarily fix it or make it better but there's just something about being with. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a conflict that you need to deal with and, and there are things that we can do when it comes, I'll talk to the next point. Uh, we started the series saying one of the things you can do is connect with people relationally and it's not to do a deep dive and wear your feelings on your sleeve that may come in the relationship as it progresses, but it's just healthy for you here and here to not be isolated. And those of you that aren't serving any area of ministry at CLC, I have a brand new ministry I'd like to recruit you to do today, starting today. I want you to plan to be here 15 minutes before church or 15 minutes after church. I want you to stop by the cafe and get a, get a cup of coffee or a bottle of water or go down to one by door two and they can make all kind of frou-frou drinks, okay? And just park at a table and find somebody to be friendly with every weekend. Because there's a lot of lonely people coming here 
And we all walk into a crowd and you figure, oh, I'm not lonely in a crowd, but you can't be lonely in a crowd. Don't only be in a crowd. And your ministry is to raise the friendliness, connectingness level of CLC. You understand that? Say yes if you do. And you'll also do it. Okay, great. Thank you for saying that. No. All right, but connect with people. Physical exercise is also important. And it's not to lose weight. That's a byproduct. Maybe you get, maybe you don't. But God made, the one who made us body, soul, and spirit, made your body that when you exercise it, it releases chemicals like endorphins, and they are way good for you mentally and emotionally. So nothing else, take a brisk walk. If you can't do that, you know, whatever motions you can do, just do it to get the blood pumping and to get the adrenaline going and to get some of those chemicals that God gave your brain to help your body and your, and your mind to do that. The other area was to spend time reading God's word if it's just a verse a day and spend time in prayer. And last weekend we talked about uh, kindness meditation. Would you repeat after me? May I flourish? May I be in good health? May it be well with my soul. Three simple statements that go right along with 3 John verse 2. And just say those. And then when you say those, just be quiet. Just reflect. If your mind goes to a bunch of details, have a steno pad so you can just write down the, the to-do list and then get back to just, just reflect. Maybe say it again. Be deep breath, may I flourish. May I be in good health. Think through that, pray through that. And may it be well with my soul. Just taking the time. Hurry up and relax. Hurry up and don't be anxious. Get moving and stop being depressed. That's not the advice you're going to get from Scripture. Our, our internal well-being is accompanied by a certain level of stillness and intentionality. And uh, we talked last week about killing your ants, your automatic negative thoughts. So think about a person a situation, a dynamic, a si whatever. Think about something in life that you got negative thoughts about. Ready? One, two, three. Think it. Work. Ooh, don't say it. Just think it. <laughs> but a lot of people said amen when you said work, right? <laughs> and so there's the, is it true? Is it totally true? Is it true as you think it is? Is there another perspective to that? And then what do I do about that? And last weekend, we brought the very familiar Philippians 4, verse 8, where he tells us the kind of things to think about. You have a choice of what you think about. Oh, no, I don't. Sure you do. Do you like snow or sunshine better? Go ahead and say it. Okay. You just thought about weather. I just suggested it, and you either had the picture of a sunny day or snow all over the ground. You directed your mind to think you have control over much of your thought life. Probably not all, but much. And if you have control over your thought life, you can also give direction to your emotional life because our thoughts and our emotions go together. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, we're going to kind of jump around, Philippians 4, verse 9. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 
Say practice it. That means you do it. If you want peace, there are things you need to do to discipline yourself. There are thoughts you need to intentionally have if you really honestly want peace. If you just want the anxiety and depression to continue, don't worry about it. But if you really do want peace, then there are things, Paul says, that you practice, that you think about. And Philippians 4, 8 says, think about things that are true. Think about something that's honorable or admirable. If it's right, things that are pure, things that are lovely, if there is uh, inspiration to it, things that are excellent or worthy of praise, anything. Let your mind dwell on those things. It may have nothing to do with the situation that bothers you, but train your mind to also go to positive places because when we are anxious or depressed, it's like a magnet to that which is negative and painful. Or am I just speaking for myself? Can I hear an amen? So you have to be intentional with that. And uh, make spiritual and emotional healthy choices. Psalm 42, verse 5. It makes sense to me that the man wrote this. I, I think we men are not as good at this as ladies are. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? All of us have those times where, how you feel? Oh, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Why? I don't even know. There is that. But I have flashbacks to when I was on staff. I did a lot of counseling. And I was counseling a couple. And uh, he was, <laughs> he since moved away and is gone. He, you know, he, he probably was about as emotional as this box. I mean, the guy just was not emotional at all. At least when it comes to expressing him. And so I would, I would, his wife would make a statement and then I would turn to him and I'd say, well, how do, how do you feel about that? And he would go. Is it feeling awkward yet? I'm asking that. He didn't say that. He would sit there. The first time I did it, I thought, okay, that was a clear question. He probably sat there for three minutes. Time that sometime. That's incredibly awkward. And then he would come up and go, off he'd go, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Over enough time, we finally got to where I could say, well, how does that make you feel? And it maybe take 20 seconds. Makes me feel, boom. And it's hard to deal with something that we don't know why it is or where it came from. And David was healthier than a lot of us because at least he had the wisdom in his prayer time to ask the question, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling anxious, I don't even know where it's coming from. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul, and why did you become disturbed within me? It's okay to ask the question. In fact, it might be helpful to ask the question because sometimes when you ask the question, you might get answers from God that are different from why you think you're depressed or anxious. And then he makes a choice. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Say shall. shall. Shall is a choice. I am disturbed. I am anxious. I am depressed. But I'm going to choose to hope in God. I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. I don't feel the help of his presence. Right now I'm despaired and anxious. I don't even know why I'm feeling this. But I have my hope in God. So I'm going to thank him for the help of his presence for when he gives it and I experience it. 
David, again, shows us why he's identified as a man after God's own heart, just the disciplined choices he makes in his own sense of well-being. And he chooses to praise God. And I would assume I'm not the only person in here that has ever come to church on a weekend and I did not feel like worshiping. Anybody else ever not feel like worshiping? Am I allowed to admit that? You're like, and you're a pastor. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, yeah, well, you know, worship could be a real bummer today, except it's good that it's not about you. Worship means ascribing worth to God. It has nothing to do with the context of Stan's day, Stan's life, how Stan is doing, what Stan is feeling or thinking. It has nothing to do with that. It is okay. Now that Stan is in the presence of this almighty God, it is paying attention to who that incredible God is and, and declaring his worth and value. David does that. Isaiah 61 verse 3, we referenced it earlier in the series. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel, good tidings to the poor. Who said that? Isaiah and who else? Jesus in the Gospels. He read this verse out loud in the temple and then when he's done, he sits down and says, this has been fulfilled in your midst. And he says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To every brokenhearted person here today, God wants to bring healing to you. To proclaim liberty to captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound, to those of you who feel, feel trapped and imprisoned by your own emotional life, Jesus wants to lead you from that place of feeling trapped and imprisoned and doomed. To console those who mourn. Notice he doesn't say to fix those who mourn, to make the situation go away for those who mourn. No, it is to console those who mourn. To put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness it is a choice that I make that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Remember the acorn a couple weeks ago? How big an oak tree gets from that? Emotional and mental well-being in God is well with my soul grows over time as I practice in obedience and in faith the, the righteousness that God has called me to. And so... Those are some of the things that I can do, that you can do to cultivate your emotional and mental well-being. And you may find, you, you may have a specific feeling, emotional situation, depression, anxiety, whatever it is. You may have that and, and you say, okay, I'm connecting more with people. I'm trying to get exercise. I'm spending time reading the Bible a little bit and praying and meditating. And I still, it, it may not address that specific experience now, but you'll notice a gradual improvement in your overall mental and emotional well-being. So that's emotional well-being in you. Let me talk about emotional well-being in us. Because the body of Christ is not meant to be a good luck with that kind of experience. As the body of Christ, we are meant to be an us. Say us. And so much of depression needs us. Let me read some quotes from people who battle depression on a significant basis. One person said, people who have never dealt with depression, and we're talking now the ongoing state of, not situational, but that battle of your own temperament and, and your own life that you can't get out from under. People who have never dealt with depression think it's just being sad or being in a bad mood. 
That's not what depression is for me. It's falling into a state of grayness and numbness. Another person said a big part of depression is feeling really lonely, even if you're in a room full of a million people or a sanctuary with hundreds. I added that part. Whenever someone tells me to just be happy, I want to yell, oh, hey, depression's gone. Why didn't I think of that? But I usually just roll my eyes instead. It's very hard to explain to people who have never known serious depression or anxiety the sheer continuous intensity of it. There is no off switch. The sun stops shining for me is all, one author said. The whole story is I am sad. I am sad all the time and the sadness is so heavy that I can't get away from it, not ever. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite Christian authors, wrote, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say, my tooth is aching than to say, my heart is broken. And so when it comes to the us of depression, of emotional well-being, Romans 12, 15 puts it this way. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If that had been written in modern American Christianity, we'd have probably changed that up quite a bit because we don't, we don't like to stay in difficult places. We like to rejoice with those who rejoice and cheer those up who weep and tell them there's nothing to worry about. But no, it doesn't, it doesn't say fix those who weep. It's enter into their, their heartache. Feel their burden. Be there with them. Galatians 6.2 says that. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That person who seems to so carry it and struggle with it, be attuned enough to see that and just care enough to come alongside them. Whether you ever help it go away or not, you'll be surprised at the way you help them in that. Ephesians 4.29 describes our intentionality. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but such a word is as good for edification. According to the need of the moment, and boy, when somebody f tried and failed at something, the, the word of edification there is different than someone who is just feeling defeated by life and a dark cloud that won't go away and they feel, they feel unsuccessful spiritually and emotionally. It's a different need of the moment. But, but having the discernment and sensitivity to what can I say or what can I be with that person? Sometimes there's no words to fix things. And if, if you're a fixer, that can be frustrating. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so my prayer is that Christian Life Center is, is a caring, comforting, compassionate place where we can celebrate with some people the best of times and the successes and the blessings in life. But we can also mourn with and care about and come alongside those who are hurting and struggling, anxious or depressed. And I didn't want to get through this message. There's a, there's a lot in there that you can unpack and apply. But I also want us to remember for the depression that doesn't go away. Because I have talked to people who really love God. And if they feel safe enough to be honest enough, they'll talk about, I feel this all the time. It never goes away. I'm not about to judge their spirituality or their walk with God, but instead, I think that verses like Romans 8.18 are written for things like that. 
Romans 8 is the chapter in which Paul says, we know God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 also says we're more, more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. But Romans 8.18 is one that I cling to uh, in the context of the heartaches in life and the things that don't go as planned. He says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Whether it is physical suffering and a disease or illness that they cannot treat, whether it's relational suffering that you just cannot fix, if it's emotional suffering, anxiety, depression, inferiority, insecurity, and, and you apply, I do all these things, Pastor Stan, but it is still there. Then whatever suffering that you are in that's part of this planet doesn't compare to when someday we are with him face to face. And all our heartache, all our tears, all our sorrows are gone. And to those of you that are feeling that 2 Corinthians is a, an appropriate verse. I'm going I'm to end with that. But as I was kind of finishing up this point, one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite artists and composers, favorite for Joyce and I throughout the years, is Stephen Curtis Chapman. He wrote a song for Christians with heartache and disappointment and simply titled, We're Not Home Yet. I'd like to read for you the lyrics to that song and drink it deep as a point of encouragement that you know what this earth is not our final home he said to all the travelers pilgrims longing for a home from one who walks with you on this journey called life's road it is a long and winding road from one who's seen the view and dreamt of staying on the mountain high and one who's cried like you wanting so much just to lay down and die I offer this, we must remember this. We are not home yet. Keep on looking ahead. Let your heart not forget. We're not home yet. So close your eyes with me and hear the Father saying, welcome home. Let us find the strength in all his promises to carry on. He said, I'll go prepare a place for you. So let us not forget, we are not home yet. We're not home yet. I know there'll be a moment, I know there'll be a place when we will see our Savior and fall in His embrace. So let us not grow weary or too content to stay because we are not home yet. Let us journey on. We are not home yet. And I wish for every person here 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year till Jesus comes or until you pass away, joy and happiness and success and triumph but I'm not optimistic that that wish will be granted to anyone. Hopefully the anxieties and depressions will be situational and, and transitional and you'll navigate through those and get beyond that. And during the dark times, you'll look forward to when we are home and you'll think back on the good times. But for those parts of living on this planet that we just have to live with until we're in a different place, take courage, we're not home yet. Someday we will be. And so I offer to you in closing 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. 
physical comfort, relational comfort, emotional comfort, mental comfort. That we'll be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort we've been comforted. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, I say amen to that, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? For most of us, depression and anxiety are circumstances that can come and go throughout life for different reasons and different circumstances. And, and my prayer is that God will bring to your remembrance the verses that you've heard, the, the ideas that were expressed that you can do to, to manage and reduce and overcome these difficulties as they as they're part of life. And that you'll not feel defeated or less than or unspiritual, but instead you'll realize that Jesus knows how I think. Jesus understands these thoughts. And at the very least, the Holy Spirit will come alongside me and be my comforter. To those of you that deal with it very deeply and it never seems to go away, I want to offer to you that you have a Savior First of all, I pray that you do. If you don't, if you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and surrender your life to him, boy, at the close of this service, find one of us down here. We'll be glad to pray with you that that's the case. But for Christians, you have a Savior who cares about you, who understands you better than you know yourself. And as you turn to him, he can show you what's behind some of those anxieties or fears. He can give you faith to persevere when there's not understanding. He can give you strength, comfort, and peace, and he will see you through. And because he can't fix this world that we're in, he's preparing a better one for all of us that is free of all anxiety, guilt, and shame, and pain. So before I close in prayer, I wonder how many of us are here, and you'd say, it's not just every day dealing with, I, I have serious struggles, I'm at a very difficult place, or I go through difficult places regularly. When it comes to my emotional and mental well-being, I need God's help in a special way. Would you raise your hand across this place just to kind of identify? Yeah, it's, it's more than average for me. Yeah. So Lord, you see our upraised hands. You see our hearts. I'm so thankful that you're a God who cares and a God who understands and a God who loves us. And so I pray that the peace of God that is beyond understanding will guard each heart and each mind in Christ. I pray for a healing that goes soul deep and restoration. I pray for strength for the journey and encouragement to what's ahead and what's ultimately ahead when we'll someday be with you face to face. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. And I pray that at Christian Life Center, we'd be a, a place that it's safe to know and be known, that we bear each other's burdens. We rejoice and celebrate with, with each other, but we also know how to hurt and care for each other. And for those who raise their hand, I pray a special blessing of an awareness of your presence and your love. I pray for a supernatural ability to do that which we see in Scripture that's healthy for us and good for us. And I pray likewise, God, that you, that you stave off the, the threats of depression and anxiety. And I pray for a spirit of your peace in powerful ways. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave today, we'll have some music playing. I'll ask my prayer team members to come and, and join me across the front here because we'd like to pray with you if you're carrying a burden emotionally, 
mentally, whatever that might be. Uh, that burden, it's amazing how it gets lighter just by being shared. So I'm going to ask prayer team members to join me down front while I'm here. And uh, you can quietly dismiss yourself, stay back and reflect and pray a little bit. And we'll see you Wednesday night for our deeper dive at 7 o'clock where I interview mental health professionals on questions and answers. Thank you so much. Have a great day.